Welcome back to another episode of Wait for Wait, Food for Thought. Today's episode is going to be about grief and managing your grief, what grief looks like to some people, what grief doesn't look like to some people. Um, This is actually my second take of this topic just because it's fairly hard for me to to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm okay talking about the experience. I've learned to just kind of be a robot and explain to people what happened, but I'm not good at understanding, verbalizing, speaking out loud, any of the emotions associated with kind of what I went through. So this is a bit of a challenging episode for me, but I hope that it inspires you or or if you're going through grief, just shows you that you are not alone and other people in this world are experiencing grief alongside of you and that may look like something else, but deep down, we're all trying to figure it out together. Um, I've been saying this a, saying this a lot lately. I've been saying I don't really think I fully processed my dad's death and learned how to sit with the grief. Now, for those of you that don't know, he passed away in 2012 from lung cancer. Um, the last six months of his life, he had dementia just from all of the uh, chemo, different drugs that he was on, clinical trials. He just became a test dummy, basically, uh, so the doctors could see what medicines could work and what medicines could not work. If you want the full story, go ahead and listen to episode two, where I talk about my reasoning behind starting Wait for Wait, and then there I'll, I explain uh, kind of what happened and his whole cancer journey. But long story short, he passed away in 2012. And lately, I've been trying to talk about it, and my my grief, if you will, has been manifesting a lot lately uh, in different ways. And I keep saying, like I said, I don't think I fully processed my dad's death. And today, I, I was writing in my journal, and I was thinking about that, And then it hit me. I don't think we ever really know how to process a death or how to understand someone that you love dying. And I think as you grow up and as you progress in your life, that grief manifests in different ways. I think the initial shock versus dealing with the loss of a loved one later on in your life entail different things. And are both equally as hard. Um, I have a glass of wine here with me to <laughs> help me get me through this episode, which probably shouldn't be my mentality, but it is. Um, lately, I have there's a lot of big life moments that have been happening for me. Uh, I'm doing well at my job. I think I hope. Um, I, at least I think I am. Uh, I, I'm getting married, which is crazy. Um, I'll talk about that in a different episode, but for now, yeah, I'm getting married and I don't have this experience to share with my dad. Um, Just a lot of little things, milestones in your life that you just wish, hmm, I I wish you were here that I, so I can talk to you about it. And I, I'm a firm believer that he's always watching over me or that whoever you love has, whoever you, you love Uh, the wine is kicking in y'all whoever you've lost that you love I think 
is always watching over you, but there's a difference between feeling like somebody is watching over you and and knowing their presence is there and actually being able to talk and have a conversation with that person. So I want to start with explaining or going into detail about what grief looked like for me when my dad first passed away or first passed away, passed away initially. Anyway, so he had, like I said, dementia for six months of his life uh, before he died. It came out of nowhere. He had a seizure that just kind of put him off the edge. Uh, We thought that he was going to come out of it, but he didn't. And he just got progressively worse. Eventually he died from respiratory failure, not actually from uh, the cancer. So while that was happening, to me, he was still physically there. He couldn't talk. He didn't know my name. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't do basic things like eat by himself, go to the bathroom by himself. He was basically like a baby, uh, just there. And you have to take care of that person at all times and watch that person at all times. He was not self-sufficient. To me, I, I had fun with it. I dressed him up. He had no idea what I was doing, but I would put scarves on him and hats. And just, I had fun with it. I played basketball with him. Um, you, could, you could see some glimpse, glimpses of his personality when he had dementia, but for the most part, he was just kind of there and really, really out of it. But everyone around me seemed to already acted like he was dead. Uh, everybody was always sad and gloomy. Um, sorry, guys, this is, this is tough to talk about, but uh, everybody acted like he was already, already dead. And I, I saw him there. So whether he was emotionally there and mentally there or not, didn't matter to me because I was physically able to see him every day. And when he actually passed away, everybody, it was like everybody around me was prepared for that moment, except for me. So everybody had about six months to process everything, knowing that, hey, the end is near. And to me, I didn't see that at all. I just saw him there, like I said, and I didn't even process the end. I knew it was coming, but it didn't it didn't make sense for me to think about because he was still there in that moment. So when he died, he, it was 4.14 in the morning. Um, I remember holding his hand because I was sleeping next to him and everybody was crying around him. And I went to go touch his hand and it was ice cold. And I, this is obvious, like, you know, a dead person or a corpse um, is cold, but I didn't think about that. And it was like reality hit me all at once. And I flipped, I flipped out. Everybody was calm and obviously sad, but I went crazy. I was like screaming. I was trying to find the car keys to leave. People were holding me back. It was like, it was like, I I wasn't even expecting this to happen, that it was just out of complete shock. That's how I handled it. And I I realized, I mean, I realized now looking back, I didn't realize this at all in the moment. I was suppressing a lot, a lot from his diagnosis of cancer to 
um, and I guess I'll give a little recap here too. Um, he was diagnosed uh, f- 12 in 2008 and he was given six months to live and he actually lasted for years. So he beat the odds. He became vegan. Um, that's basically the bulk of the story. He became vegan and everybody was just shocked that he was doing so well. But throughout the entire years he had cancer, I suppressed everything. And this was the moment where everything came out in, it all manifested with anger. And I carried that anger with me for the next three years following his death. So when he first died, it was me, my mom, and my sister. That's it. Uh, I was, I don't even know how to put this lightly. I was the biggest bitch on the planet. I was horrible to my mom. I was horrible to my sister. I would like be sitting in class and I would just get up and leave. Like nobody, I would just act like I'm going to the bathroom, but I would just leave. Like I would go find a piano in one of our like common spaces that nobody was in. And I would just go sing and play piano until somebody found me. And the principal found me on like many occasions, like, Hey Sabrina, you can't be here again. Go back to class. Uh, I would sneak out of the house. I like would throw things at my family. I was I was terrible, but that was my way of processing everything. And a month after he died, I met a guy. We started dating and it was not the greatest relationship. It was an emotionally abusive relationship. And I knew that. I knew that. And I think anybody that's in an emotional relationship knows that it's abusive and you should get out of it. But there's I don't even know how to describe this because I haven't even thought about this a lot either because I don't think about hard things in my life, but (laughs) stupid, but I, I suppressed everything and I wanted to make sure that I made him happy all the time and my energy was into him, him, him. And I would ignore, my sister would ask to hang out with me. I would say, no, sorry, I'm hanging out with my boyfriend. Um, I would sneak out to go hang out with my boyfriend. I wouldn't come home till like four in the morning. My mom didn't know where I was. Uh, we were just always in fights, my mom and me, like all the time. And it was all my fault. I was, yeah, I was like a terrible, terrible teenager. I think with good reason, but still I didn't handle anything the right way. Uh, eventually the emotional abuse turned into physical abuse and it was on one occasion, but still it shouldn't have never been one occasion at all. I dated for about two and a half years and I actually followed him to college, which is why I transferred from my college in New York to a school in Texas. Uh, So yeah. And I still stayed with him until he finally just stopped talking to me one day and would not talk to me at all. And I was forced to move on because he wouldn't look at me, see me, respond to any of my messages, nothing. So I was like, okay, now I'm forced to move on. But what I realized at the moment in time was I was holding on to him so much and so hard because it was a bandaid. I, it was a month after my dad passed away. It forced me to not think about anything related to his death. Uh, I found like an escape. Um, yeah, just like an escape. And okay, yeah, it was an abusive relationship, but sometimes it was great. And it was the great moments were my justification to stay in the relationship. 
and my way of not thinking about anything that was really hurting me inside. So I thought that if we broke up, I would be forced to face my past and deal with my dad's death and sit with my dad's death and alone. Like we, throughout our relationship, like I wasn't allowed to hang out with certain people and I wasn't allowed to follow certain people. And it was just a very controlling and manipulative relationship that by the time it was, it ended, I, I was left with no close friends, no groups to be a part of because I wasn't, he wasn't comfortable with that. Um, I was failing classes in college. I had to retake classes. I was just a disaster. I left that relationship not knowing who I was, not having any close girlfriends or guy friends for that matter. Being at a school that I didn't really want to be at, I just transferred to to be with him. And I just didn't, I was just such, that was probably one of my lowest moments in my life when I had to face everything all at once. And I remember calling my mom while I was at school, just like bawling on the phone, not not knowing what to do and not thinking that I could handle anything. I felt like I was dying. Like I was dying. I had this breakup, which felt like so grand. It's felt, I, I don't know, I, maybe I, just thinking back to how I felt, I really thought that I was going to die and I couldn't handle anything anymore. But I knew that it wasn't just the breakup. It was way more than that, that I did not want to deal with because I don't know how to deal with it. Um, and that was my escape. After that relationship ended, I started an acapella group. I fell in love with my college. Fell in love. Y'all go frogs. I'm going to visit next month and I cannot wait. Um, I joined groups. I made so many new friends. I changed my major. I graduated on time. I took a shit ton of classes to graduate on time because I did fail a few. Uh, I had three jobs. I was I was finding my way back into the groove of everything. And shortly after our breakup, I started an acapella group um, on campus. Uh, and the first year that, no, sorry, second year that I, of, of us being a foundation or an organization on campus, I hosted a uh, walk on campus to raise money for lung cancer awareness. And I think that was one of the first times that I really started to think about my dad in terms of, okay, he's gone. And what can I do about that to better the world rather than I'm angry, poor me, this sucks. I can't talk to him. I, I, I started to transfer that energy into something good. We raised a little over $4,000 to lung cancer research and that whole walk or that year of planning a walk on campus was so emotional for me. Like I found myself not being myself. I was rude to people. I was anxious all the time. I was controlling. Uh, the walk happened and it was amazing. And yeah, it was, it was literally amazing. And I think that he would have been so stoked or I think he, I think he is. I think he was watching down being super stoked, but that was like my first journey towards really coping in a positive way uh, and has opened the door to so many new things like wait for wait was born because of him Um, well because of what he's taught me in this journey of what it's taught me Um, 
But I, I find today that I'm still coping with a lot of things that I don't realize is a problem until it becomes a problem. Um, for example, my sister is studying abroad in the Netherlands and I have been finding like, okay, I have her location and I have mom's location and I'll track them. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like if I'm not hearing from her or I'm not hearing from my mom, I'll just track them um, to know they're safe. Like, I don't really care what you're doing. I just want to know that you're safe. And when my sister was in Humboldt um, for school, I would track her. She wasn't answering me. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like at this place with her friends. She's, she's fine. She's just so bad with using her phone. But I have these little moments where I just freak out. Like, okay, she's not answering me. It's been four hours. Oh my gosh, where could she be? I, I know she's with these friends. Like, let me, let me message her friends, which I have done on multiple occasions. And that's on a small scale because she's still in the state of California. I still know, like, if anything were to happen, God forbid, I could drive up there to her school and, and help her out. She is in the Netherlands. And this today I had my fourth, like, episode of me freaking out. And my freakouts are all internal. Like, I get really quiet. Um... But like my stomach hurts, my head hurts, my heart's pounding. Like I have this irrational, I'm going to call it an irrational, rational fear that something terrible is going to happen, knock on wood, to somebody else that's close to me. And I don't know, I don't know how to process that or to even fathom that. Like I look back at the experience with my dad and I don't even know how somebody could be that strong to like live through the death of a loved one and I think back to like you know if this were to happen to me again would I be able to get through it and I think right now my answer is no and this is honestly the first time that I'm verbalizing literally any of this so like I said super difficult for me I haven't really written this down either. Like I don't talk about this to anybody. People know that I get super anxious. Like if Dunya, my sister is, it's not answering me, but I don't think people realize the extent of what I'm thinking. Like, okay, if she's not answering me for a few hours, the rational side of my brain knows that she's okay. Like she's on campus. She's with her friends. She's in a, one of the safest countries in the world. Like I'm probably in more danger than she is, but it's that irrational side of me that cannot fathom losing another person close to me because I don't think I fully have processed what has happened to my dad. And I find moments where I wake up and I'm like angry. And at, towards my end of the day, I realized like, oh, I'm like really missing my dad, but I just woke up angry and I didn't realize that I was missing my dad. Uh, maybe I had a dream about him that I didn't really realize or something, or it's always these subconscious things that manifest for me through anger. And I'll realize what's wrong at the end of my day where I'm just really, really sad. And I don't know how to process that other than anger. Anger is my go-to. And if you know me personally, like I'm a, I'm a super happy person and I'm a outgoing person. Uh, like I'm loud and I talk a lot and I, I like to laugh a lot and I don't, and people don't really see this angry side of me. And when I get angry, I'm like fucking angry, like move out of my way. <laughs> but 
it doesn't happen often and it usually doesn't happen because I'm angry about nothing. I'm just super, super sad. But today I had an episode, y'all. I did. My sister is in, well, I guess she's leaving now, but Oktoberfest in Germany, super freaking fun. Uh, and her phone died. Like I told her before she left, like, keep me posted, please. You know how I get, like, you're going to be gone in a new country with a shit ton of people. You're going to be drunk. Like, please just communicate with me. Like, just tell me when you get there, update me in the middle of the day and tell me when you go to bed. So I know that you got home safe. That's all I ask. And this bitch's phone died. Like, like, I don't know, six hours through this whole ordeal. And I am flipping out. Like I could not, I find that when I'm, I'm anxious about that and I, I'm anxious that like something's really wrong. I find myself being on my phone a lot and I'm not very productive at all because I can't think of anything else. And anything that I'll try to do, I'll just end up migrating back to my phone to scroll on Instagram, to sc- look at her location, to look at when she was last on WhatsApp. I'll try to do something else and then I'll come back to my phone and, and look at people's stories and not do anything, anything productive because I'm just running around in circles in my head. Like I'm, I'm, I'm worrying about nothing. Like y'all worrying is so pointless and it causes so much stress, unnecessary stress, unless something's really wrong. Like I know that she's in Munich with a group of friends, like a group of good friends and that nothing is wrong and her phone probably died and she's at a huge beer hall having the time of her frick fracking life. And I still freak out and I've been tracking her location all day today, you guys. And then all of a sudden I get a message on Instagram from her friend that she's fine. They're on the bus back home. Her phone's been dead for like 13 hours. Like y'all, I didn't hear from her for 13 hours. I thought I was going to I was going to look for flights if she didn't text me in like seven more hours. I sound crazy. I sound so crazy right now, but that's what this fear has come to. Like it eats me alive thinking that I could possibly lose somebody else in the future. And what I'm learning is you can't control anything that happens to anybody. You can just control yourself and your present moment. So the fact that I spent, oh, I don't know, seven hours of my day today in constant worry, like I could barely eat. I didn't feel like recording this podcast. I'm, I have other tasks that I'm working on. Um, and I couldn't find myself doing any of those things. So yeah, I'm, I'm on this journey with you. If you are dealing with loss. I don't care how many years ago your your best friend, your husband, your wife, your fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, grandparent, sister, brother, whoever it is that you lost, it doesn't not matter how long ago they passed away. What that that pain is with you for the rest of your life and we only learn how to deal with the pain in a more productive way, I would say, than an obstructive way. I'm still learning that. And I think we all are learning that. Like, I don't think you ever learn, like I said, you don't ever learn how to deal with grief. It's, it's bizarre. It doesn't make sense. You have so many questions, but yeah, I will say though, I will say, I, I don't know what I believe religiously, whatever, but 
I do believe that the dead are always with us and among us. And if you look for signs, you will find signs. And maybe this is just a coincidence, the story that I'm about to tell, but I don't think it is. I think it's my dad. Uh, basically, my, this is so creepy, y'all. My uh, dad's music like has synced to my phone randomly. Like I didn't download it. It just syncs to my phone. Okay, maybe I logged into iTunes. Not, not that big of a coincidence. But a lot of his songs, and they're like, he has a weird mix of songs. Like, they're not something that I would just like go and shuffle on my free time. But a lot of his songs, like most of them, like 90% of them, I have to download to even play. So I can't even play them. I can only play like a select few and they're not even that great. So I don't even ever, ever, ever open my iTunes app. So I was, my sister was actually driving my car and I think we got in a fight. I don't exactly remember how this originally happened. But she comes home and she's like, hey, my dad's music just started playing on in your car while I was driving and started shuffling through to certain songs. And then they would stop and start playing. And then they would shuffle through and play the next song. And all of the songs that were playing were my dad's like favorite artists and favorite songs, which, like I said, is bizarre because none of those songs are downloaded, so I can't actually play them. And I was like, okay, that's freaking weird. So I was driving. I don't, again, I don't remember exactly how it originated, but I started driving and all of a sudden my, my Spotify shuts off and his music starts playing and the same thing happens. It was bizarre. And then my sister and I are driving on the freeway. We're stuck in traffic. Song has, our, our music has been playing for a while. Same thing happens. The music, our music stops and his music starts playing. Y'all, I can quit all of my apps and it does not show me that iTunes is open or anything is playing. It's just shuffling through on my, on my, in my car. And so my sister and I are sitting there and she goes, these songs like me don't seem random. Like they, they're just all his favorite artists, but let's ask him to play a Christmas song. So we can see like, hey, is this a coincidence or is this like, is this really happening? Guys, I shit you not, the next fucking song is a goddamn Christmas song. We are sitting in the car, shooketh to the core, like what the hell is going on? And this happens in my car every time I'm missing him or anxious or sad, it just starts to play. Uh, Mason and I, my fiance, were just in Yosemite this week looking at a wedding venue and uh I actually prayed to my dad because I, I wish he was there. He loves Yosemite, loves, 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 loves Yosemite. So I was praying to him and I was like, hey, wish you were here. You would love it. You would love the venue. Uh, I know you've never actually shuffled the music like for Mason before. So he thinks that I'm a crazy person when I tell him that you shuffle your songs. Uh, can you play it on a ride home or, or just sometime soon so that he knows that you're with both of us? Guys, about... Four hours into our trip home from Yosemite, the music stops and his music starts playing. I was, I was mind blown. And I think, okay, maybe it is a coincidence. Maybe it's just a glitch. I don't know, but it just doesn't seem like it. And I, I, I love to think that he's there and that I'm living through him, through his music. And I think that these signs are 
everywhere. They're everywhere to be found. Uh, the the last sign I'll talk about, actually, there's there's multiple signs, and they're there if you look. But when he passed away, the same day, I was laying outside in my in my backyard, and I looked up to the sky, and I said, "Hey, can you please send a shooting star so that I know that you're always looking after us?" And this sounds so fucking cheesy, but like, I'm laying on the grass, and I look up at the sky, and. I, after I fucking said that, a shooting star flies in front of my face. I've never even seen a shooting star. And that just blew my mind. And yeah, blows my fucking mind. So there are days when I feel his presence and there are days when I feel like he could not be farther away from us. And I think that's just how it's going to be for the rest of my life, sadly. And I know that that's not going to be the only death that I have to deal with because everyone deals with death and I'm not the only one that's alone in this whole wild fucking life that we're living. Everyone is going to go through this and I think no one talks about it as much or maybe that's just me living in my bubble uh, of nobody talking about this much because I haven't really talked about it with my mom. I haven't really talked about it with my sister. It's just something that happened that we recognize has happened and we try to deal with it the best we can. But if you're going through grief, it's going to be a lifelong process. Like I said, it doesn't matter how long ago you lost somebody that you loved. That pain will never go away. It just manifests differently as time goes on. And time is the only thing that will make anything feel remotely better just because you learn to cope with it and it becomes a, a memory, a beautiful, beautiful memory. And I like to justify good, good people dying by saying that when good people die, people feel inspired to start either nonprofits or organizations or fundraisers or donation events in, in memory of these people. And I think a lot of good change happens with these new organizations or laws that pave the way for the future. And I think these souls that have died too early were meant to leave their legacies behind because they're just so pure. I don't know if that made any sense, but it makes sense to me. And that's, yeah, yeah, this was a super difficult uh, podcast to record. Um, yeah, but I feel good. I feel good speaking everything into existence. I think there's still a lot of things that I, I have hesitancy speaking about in terms of my dad's death and the <laughs> cleanup, I guess one would say, of what that entails emotionally. But uh, one last thing, this this might sound kind of morbid, but we, my dad wanted to be cremated. So we cremated him and my mom had this brilliant fucking idea to go to Build-A-Bear and this is super gross, put his ashes in a Ziploc bag. So my sister and I put some of his ashes in a bag. We went to Build-A-Bear, we picked a bear and we stuffed the bear with his ashes. And I carry this bear everywhere. You guys, I sleep with it every single night. Um, I carry it with it when I travel cause I'm scared of flights. I'm don't like flying. <laughs> so, um, I take it with me or take the bear with me on big trips and it brings me such comfort. So if you 
have lost somebody that has been cremated, do something with those ashes that make you feel so close to that person. Either plant a tree in the front yard or make a -a Build-A-Bear or scatter the ashes in your favorite place or his or her favorite place. Something that makes you feel super connected to this person in a ceremonial and kind of way. I think it's beautiful. And even though the lady at Build-A-Bear was probably traumatized and she had a smile on her face the whole time pretending that we did not have ashes in our hand. Shout out to you, girlfriend, if you're listening to this. Uh, So sorry, but thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I am learning to deal with this debilitating fear that I have of losing somebody else. And it's crippling. It really is crippling. Like I can't do anything once I get into the mindset where I like, okay, where is this person? Uh, this person has not answered me in this amount of time. Blah, blah, blah. I'll go on a hunt. I literally have researched like, what time does the bus leave? What time does this leave? Blah, 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 blah. All of these things to make myself feel more comforted if somebody's not responding to me. And it's just comes from this deep rooted fear, this deep rooted, intense fear that something is going to happen to somebody. So moral of the story is that there is no right or wrong way to process grief. We all process it in different ways. If you want to talk about anybody that you've lost and create a community where you can connect with people that have gone through similar things, I don't like to say that all of our pain is equal because it's not. Uh, Pain is relative. It's a relative concept and everybody feels things differently. So just because you lost your dad doesn't mean that we have the same, doesn't mean that I have the right to say, "I, I feel for you because I I can't. We all feel differently and we all deal with things in very different, unique ways. All I can say is I'm here for you. So if you want to speak about your experience with me and try to navigate this journey of loss together, I'm here to talk things through. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you have found your way and have learned to manifest your negative emotions in a super positive way. I'm still learning that. Uh, I think, like I said, with all the big milestones in my life right now, I'm, I'm finding it super difficult to just think of him in a positive way. He's been coming to my mind a lot lately and it does make me angry. I just get angry. So So I'm learning how to navigate through this, like I said, journey of loss, and I want to navigate it with you. So go ahead and shoot me an email at waitforweight at gmail.com. That's W-A-I-T-F-O-R-W-E-I-G-H-T at gmail.com. Or shoot me a message on Instagram. My Instagram name is W-A-I-T underscore F O R underscore W-E-I-G-H-T. I'd be more than happy to talk things with you and learn from you and with you. So thanks for listening to me. Maybe this was jumbled rant. I don't know, but I appreciate you all listening to the end of this and I'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 